It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, uh, August, October 3rd, 2013. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me on the program. Dad, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Looking forward to our discussion. Anthony's behind the controls tonight, waking us uh, sound good. Anthony, welcome to the program. Thanks. It's glad, uh, glad to be here. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing from you. You'll make us sound even better if you'll give us a call at 877-381-4567. You'll help us with the discussion by emailing questions at collegeview.com, and you can join in with other listeners on the program tonight by uh, joining in the chat room to the right of the video window if you're watching us live on Thursday evening. Well, looking forward to the discussion tonight. Controversy tonight, huh? We want well, con- well, you got a controversial topic. Well, maybe controversial. Um, I got to thinking, Jacob, we've talked about evolution and creation uh, in the past, but there's there's a specific part of this uh subject that we have not covered and it has been somewhat controversial and that is the days of creation Uh, even among some of our our own brethren in churches of christ there's been some controversy about the days of creation as recorded in genesis chapter one yes were they literal 24-hour days or or did the days actually constitute long periods of time Sometimes that's referred to as the day-age theory. Correct. That uh, that God created the worlds, but he did it over a long period of time, and that the days that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 1 are actually uh, just representative of long eons of time. Sometimes this is referred to as theistic evolution. God, God created things, but he created them by using evolution as his tool for getting the job done. Yes. Lots of people believe that. And, and we have talked about that in the past, but and we're going to talk about it more tonight, but we're also especially going to try to key in on the question of those days in Genesis 1. Were they literal 24-hour days, literal consecutive 24-hour days, or were they, uh, is that symbolic language indicating that long eons or long uh, periods of time during which evolution was transpiring? All right, we'll look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. What about the creation controversy? Six literal days? you got to be kidding me. God did all that in six literal days? Well, that's what we're trying to suggest. Not everybody believes that, but I think uh, if we look carefully at the Scriptures, that's the conclusion we must reach based upon what the Scriptures teach. Of course, the, the, I think the reason why a lot of people would try want to try to figure a way to work in long periods of time is because they've been told over and over again by so-called scientists that the evidence is is incontrovertible that the universe is ancient that the earth has existed for billions of years that life has been on planet earth um, for millions even billions of years yeah. and and so some folks have felt a desperate need to try and figure out how you can work that into what the Bible says. 
In other words, they assume that the scientists are right, and therefore the Bible has to be interpreted in such a way to accommodate what the scientists say about the age of the earth and about how long life has existed on planet earth. And so there's, there's some people feel a real sense of urgency to, to come to some means of compromise. And I, I actually think it's not necessary. We'll see what we can do with that. All right. Uh, Anthony, I think I've got the knobs right now. Do we, are we okay on our levels? Are we sound okay? Yeah, I think we're doing pretty good. We're not good. too hot? Uh, a little, little in the red, but not the I'm whole time. back it off a little bit. All right. Go ahead. All, All right. right. Well, you sent out some questions earlier today. As we always do on Thursday, we send out to our update list uh, what our topic is going to be and some questions for consideration that we'll be discussing during the program. Get on our list. If you're not, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and say, put me on the list. Okay. On Thursday, you'll get an update such as this one that we sent out today indicating that we wanted to talk about the evolution and creation controversy, especially the six literal 24-hour day question. Yes. So we're going to start out sort of in general. Number Question number one, we said, what are some of the unscientific failings of the theory of evolution? Number yeah. two, what are some of the evil fruits that have been produced by the theory of evolution? Evil fruits. You know, if people accept that we are just evolved life forms, it changes the way they think about things. And and I actually think that the world has seen some evil fruit of the theory of evolution uh, in that way. Question three, how can we prove that the days of creation in Genesis 1 were literal 24-hour days rather than long eons of time, as the day-age theory suggests? So you, you see where it. we're yeah. coming from. I we're not, see where you're going. I you're think no, you, no, you, we've already, by you that question. You have tented the discussion already. By that by the tone of that question we've exposed we've exposed where we stand on it but okay. if you don't agree say so okay. we'll, we'll talk about we're it. open for discussion tonight number four if evolution occurred even theistic evolution then it must necessarily be true that death preceded sin yeah now right. wh- what's wrong with that think about that for a minute we'll that's talk a new it. one it, have you and made then, that argument before yeah yeah that's an old argument i haven't heard it before all right have you heard it before, Anthony? No, it's intriguing. I like I'm it. I'm waiting for that. Yeah. That's number yeah. four. Yes, yeah, number four. And you know, I, I just noticed that I misnumbered the questions. We got, oh, we're going back this, to number three. This should actually be question five. Okay, number five. Those who believe in biblical creation are sometimes accused of believing. And how would you respond to this if someone said, well, if you believe in biblical creation, then you believe that each individual species was created exactly as it is observed today. Okay, yes. Or if you believe in biblical creation, then you must believe that the entire Bible has to be interpreted literally. Oh, yeah. Or if you believe in biblical creation, you must necessarily believe that dinosaurs never existed. What? And so you know, what, what we're saying, and that's not all of them, but that's just a, a sampling of some of the things. If you say that you're a creationist, that you believe what the Bible teaches about God's specific uh, creation, supernatural, recent creation – then people will begin to accuse you of believing some things that you don't believe. So we'll talk about that. You'll want to stay tuned for the discussion tonight as we talk about creation. Did it happen in six literal days? And you'll want to join in the discussion. The chat room is open and silent as a mouse tonight. And we hope that that will, uh, will change. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, your discussion. Uh, we'll look forward to that discussion evolving as the program goes along tonight. All right, let's start out with, let's just start. We're really, this is sort of a general and it doesn't okay. dive into our specific topic exclusively but we need to always i think repeat the fact that evolution is just bad science and and i i i really wish that all bible believers could feel confident in what they believe that the bible says and not feel like they have such a horrible burden of trying to accommodate the claims of scientists 
uh, in opposition to what the Bible teaches because the theory of evolution is really, really an unscientific theory. It's not workable. And even the people who teach it, you know, admit that it is not provable. And that, and when I mentioned what are some of the basic failings of this unworkable or unscientific theory, uh, that's part of it. You know, it's, it's uh, it it's not theory. proved. It's 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 unprovable. Uh, it's really not even a proper theory because it can't be tested. It's not falsifiable. Uh, we've talked many times about how the the theory of evolution contradicts the known laws of science. Uh, for instance, one of the most fundamental laws of science is the law of biogenesis. And the law of biogenesis says life comes from living things and living things produce after their own kind. Yes. Well, if you think about the theory of evolution, it's a, a direct opposition to that. The theory of evolution necessarily believes that life sprang from non-living matter. Of course, that's never been able – they've never been able to reproduce that in the very best laboratory conditions. So the theory of evolution says life sprang from non-living matter and then – Living things did not produce after their own kind. Yes, it's just it's, and that's a law. And that's a, that's a basic. I mean, I'm certainly glad of that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, our our life know. our life depends upon uh, a a basic truth such as that. For it instance, when worked. you go out and yeah. plant your garden, Jacob, yeah, if you planted a row of corn, yeah, and instead uh, several uh, rutabagas sprang up, yeah, you, you wouldn't be too happy. No, I wouldn't. And and, of course, you, since you're just a small-time gardener, that wouldn't be devastating. But if you no, were trying wouldn't. to earn your living yes. by growing crops, you'd be in a real mess if you didn't know that what you planted as seed would produce after its own kind. Yes. So the world really depends upon uh, the law of biogenesis. You know, yeah. So your wife becomes pregnant, and you're hoping, you're just hoping it's a human baby and not – uh, I don't know. You know what? Not a giraffe or something. It didn't you know? work at our house. We had some. We we hatched out some monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> but you get the idea. Yeah. Uh, we depend on something yeah. as basic as the law of biogenesis, yeah. and the um, uh, evolution says well, there was a time when the law of biogenesis didn't didn't function. That's a law. Something yeah. different happened. Yeah. All right. Uh, we could talk about the first and second laws of thermodynamics. We could talk about a whole host of basic. Scientific principles that are contradicted by the theory of evolution. Now, it just happens by coincidence that Anthony happened to join us tonight. Uh, you didn't even know when you volunteered last night, Anthony, that you didn't know what we'd be talking about. But you are a biology major. You studied that. And, uh, Anthony, you can tell us. I mean, it's it's presented as hard, hard, cold fact, right? Right. I, and I, exactly right. I mean, there's it's not really questioned. Um, and, uh, you know, Greg mentioned something that, I think it's important if you know if you actually look into it, um, the people in this field will readily admit uh, that that they don't have all the answers and that it you know things don't make sense. Um, you know, there's great controversy out there among people who claim to be evolutionists, um, and you know I think the theory is kind of on on the rocks. There's no you know there's no scientific evidence really to support it we have this idea of natural selection that you know darwin came up with it before that i guess if you know we saw a lot of scientists you know like newton and others who were uh, god-fearing people and and i guess there was no explanation at that point for how you know no atheistic explanation for you know for 
the origin of species, if you will. So there's a lot of things they don't understand about how evolution works, and uh, there are a lot of questions in their mind. But as a creationist, you've got to have all the answers as to how Yeah, it's creation, okay for them to have Right. If you unanswered. can't explain exactly how creation happened, then, well, let, let, let me read you a few yeah. quotes. Uh, Anthony, just along the lines of what you were just saying, uh, a well-known uh, author, Dr. Robert Jastrow, wrote a book called Until the Sun Dies. And he said in it, this theory of evolution is an act of faith. The act of faith consists in assuming that the scientific view of the origin of life is correct without having concrete evidence to support that belief. He goes on to say, science still has no answer to the riddle of life. The record of the first billion years of the Earth's existence has been erased, the magic period when life evolved here. The theory of chemical origins of of life is held by scientists as an article of faith without proof. Uh, uh, I think you did. You just mention Fred Hoyle, uh, Anthony. Not specifically, Uh, but yeah, he wrote a book called The Intelligent Universe. And notice what he said about this. He said, if there were a basic principle of matter, which somehow drove organic systems toward life, its existence should easily be demonstrable in a laboratory. In other words, if if there is a, a way to do it, we ought to be able to do it in a laboratory. He said one could, for instance, take a swimming bath. That's what we would call a swimming pool. To represent the primordial soup, fill it with any chemicals of a non-biological nature you please, pump any gases over it or through it you please, and shine any kind of radiation on it that takes your fancy. Let the experiment proceed for a year and see how many of those 2,000 enzymes, that is proteins produced by living cells, have appeared in the bath. Uh, I will give the answer and so save time and trouble and expense by actually doing the experiment, of actually doing the experiment. You would find nothing at all except possibly for Atari sludge composed of amino acids and other simple organic chemicals. How can I be so confident of this statement? Well, if it were otherwise, the experiment would long since have been done and would be well known and famous throughout the world. The cost of it would be trivial compared to the cost of landing a man on the moon. In short, there is not a shred of objective evidence to support the hypothesis that life began in an organic soup here on Earth. David Philbeam. Uh, a well-known expert in human evolution, was quoted by Richard Leakey in the book The Making of Mankind. He said, if you brought a smart scientist from another discipline and showed him the meager evidence we've got, he'd surely say, forget it. There, wow. isn't, there isn't enough to go on. Yeah, yeah come, come on. I mean, if this is such a, a, a provable theory, this is a, prove it to us. Show us. Yeah. You can manipulate any uh, variable that you want. Uh, and, and, and they've tried. Professor Jerome Lejeune, uh, chairman of generics at the University of Paris in a book called The Beginning of Life, said, the neo-Darwinist is now reaching the point of dignity in, in the history of scientists that the Ptolemaic system in astro- astronomy reached long ago. You know what the Ptolemaic system was? The Ptolemaic system of astronomy says Earth is the center of the universe. Uh-huh. And everything ra- revolves around the Earth. Right. Obviously, that's ludicrous. It was once believed by scientists, yeah. but it's ludicrous now and, and dismissed. And he's saying neo-Darwinism has, is reaching that point. He says the neo-Darwinist is now reaching the point of dignity in the history of science that the Ptolemaic system in astronomy re- reached long ago. We know, he says, we know that it does not work. Whoa. And that is interesting because from the actual structure of the chromosome, we can demonstrate that the human species did not come from a progressive humanization of a pre-human. Back up. to Explain that. He says the actual structure of the chromosome, from from the actual structure of the chromosome, we can demonstrate that the human species did not come 
from a progressive humanization of a pre-human. The chromosomes don't match the chromosomes yeah. of the yeah, apes. Yeah, couldn't come that way. All right. So well, there you go. So, so the digger, the more they dig, the more they find out. Yeah, they're just digging themselves deeper in a hole. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of digging, um, the, I recently checked out a book from the library, and I didn't get to finish it. But it's called Darwin's Doubt. I think it's a new book by Stephen Meyer, and talking about um, the the case for intelligent design based on the fossil record. So. You know, we keep literally they keep digging. And, you know, if we came from, you know, if we're the result of a series of of progressive, you know, mutations and changes, then you would think and Darwin predicted that the fossil record would be full of these intermediate species. Right. right? But they're not. It's not. And we had this uh, the book that I referenced is about. Um, the Cambrian was called the Cambrian explosion, where in the Mm -hmm. fossil record in the so-called Cambrian time period, all these complex life forms just appear out of nowhere with no precursors really in earlier fossil strata. And, uh, and there's simply no, the fossil record is completely against. Uh, Darwin even said that in the origin of the species, a couple of quotes, he said the number of intermediate and transitional links between all living and extinct species must have been inconceivably great. He says, but geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic change. And this is perhaps the most obvious and serious objection which can be urged against the theory of evolution. Right. And that's Darwin himself admitted that. And that's where the guy gets the title, Darwin's Doubt, because he he, he himself said, you know, look, my theory's got some weaknesses, and this is the biggest weakness. And 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 the the proponents of evolution talk of a missing link singular. There should be. Right. There should be millions numbers. Of oh, they should be everywhere. Yeah, you ought to be able. Every time you took up a shovel out of the earth, you ought to find right. a missing. Right. Uh, David Kitts, a paleontologist and an evolutionist, wrote: Despite the bright promise that paleontology, the study of fossils, provides a means of seeing evolution, it has presented some nasty difficulties for evolutionists. The most notorious of which is the presence of gaps in the fossil record. Evolution requires intermediate forms between species, and paleontology does not provide them. All right. So uh, that's just sort of a review of things we've talked about before. But I I really wish that Bible believers would understand that we actually hold the high ground here. The evolutionists are on sand. They they do not have a foundation. And and the honest ones even admit it, that they can't prove what they teach. All right. You'll never hear that in the, in the classroom, though, unfortunately, and that is what's shaping the minds of many uh, today. And we want to talk about that on the other side of the break. What are some problems that you see with the theory of evolution, and what are some of the evil fruits that have been produced by the theory of evolution? Let us know your thoughts. Uh, we're going to take a break, and we'll get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Here's some quotes worth pondering. 
Things turn out best for the people who make the best of the way things turn out. The best way to cheer yourself up is to try to cheer somebody else up. The best portion of a man's life are his little, nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and love. Man, wish I'd said that. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight. We welcome you back. Uh, the number to call is 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com as we talk about evolution and the problems with it. Uh, I want to go to some email feedback we got today, Jacob. Uh, and this this author has asked not to give, have his name given on the air but he, he explains the situation. This is why this is important, Jacob. This is how serious this is. He says, I have a dear friend who was once a faithful member of the church. He said he decided never to attend worship services again after hearing a preacher make fun of evidences given by evolutionists that evolution is a fact, especially those involving the long age of the earth. After much thinking and study on his part, he had, before hearing the preacher, come to the conclusion that God could have made the life, made life on earth over a long period of time using the evolutionary processes. He believed that Genesis chapters 1 and 2 could have been authored using some symbolic poetic literature, which allows for long periods of time in between each day of creation. He even believed that God doing it this way would show even more what wonders God can do. I've tried to gather materials to convince him that what he believes, as just read, is not scriptural nor logical. But he just argues that if God wanted to do it that way, he could, and that symbolic literature is all through the Bible. The only thing I can think of to do is to find a scientist to come and show him, one with an advanced degree, a faithful member of the church, who after much study has evidences of a young earth, etc., and who follows God's word faithfully. What do you suggest? Well, I, I suggest that the, the person who has these doubts has only, I think, pretty obviously considered one side of the evidence. Because we just read a number of quotes, and they are abundant, and more and more books are being written along this line showing the failures of the theory of evolution. And so I, I think the information is out there. And if, if the person who is, is described in this email is, is really honestly seeking, I, I believe that the proof is there. Uh, and we're not just saying what the Bible says. We, we, we're going to get to what the Bible says here in a little bit. But just from a, a purely scientific basis, the scientists are saying their theory is full of holes and, right. and won't work. Anthony? Yeah, and I think, you know, the problem that the people get, we've talked about how people kind of get nervous or they feel like they don't have all the answers or whatever, but, you know, the the scientific community is sort of this self, self-sustaining self little world that they've got to have this idea, this evolutionary idea that they can all kind of rally around and say, okay, that's going to be our, our platform and our explanation. And, you know, these scientists mainly exist in the you know the academic world they're in universities and they're doing these things and if they don't maintain this this um this idea of evolution then they're not going to have a job if you know if they start saying well you know i don't know i don't think it's really true then they're not going to you know they're oh, not going to make exactly. it very long. so you got to be in the club you kind of have to be in the club you can't be it's a loner self-perpetuating Sort of uh, House of Cards. Yeah, right. Exactly. House well, of Cards is a great. Ex- okay. I, I think you're right, and there there are a number of quotes along that line. You know, there was a uh, what was that? What was that movie uh, that was out a few years yeah, ago? Expelled. Uh, expelled. I yes. think was the name ben of it. Ben Stein. That by Ben Stein that showed that if you take an opposing view in the academic world, you are out. Yeah, we uh, talked about that. Here, here's a quote from Sir Arthur Keith, who's an evolutionist. He says, "Evolution is unproven and unprovable." We believe it because the only alternative is special creation, 
which is unthinkable. Right. In other words, they go to it because they don't have an explanation and they will not accept creation, and so they go to evolution. Right, and I think that's why they're so open with the, the flaws is because, you know, to them, you know, we just haven't figured it out yet um, because well, the alternative, there's no way that could be true. So they don't have any sort of fear of, you know, because to them the idea of supernatural creation is, is just not even on the table. So, uh, uh, Aaron is in the chat room. And he sent us an email too. Aaron, you're in BR. Where is BR? I know you. I, I know you're. He's are. in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, Aaron has been in Singapore, but I think maybe they've relocated. Aaron, tell me where BR is. But he says I once described evolution to one who believed in it as the theory that hydrogen eventually turns itself into people. He didn't understand what I was talking about. He said, "No, living things came from earlier living things." I asked him where the first one came from. He said, I don't know, but smart people tell me they came from somewhere. The conversation didn't get any more enlightening than that. Even he couldn't acknowledge the idea that if a soup of stuff one day, he couldn't acknowledge, he wouldn't acknowledge that the idea that uh, a soup of stuff one day came to life. Uh, I asked him if, and I asked him if his was a statement of faith, but he wouldn't acknowledge that it was. He thought it wasn't faith. He just believed what other smart people told him. Oh, so Aaron Br is in Baton Rouge. They, Baton they have relocated back in back in Louisiana, yes, uh-huh. from whence they had once uh, come. Okay. Uh, great to have you back in the states, Aaron. Yeah. Hey to all the family. And yeah, good to have you here tonight. All right, uh, what are some? Uh, we're gonna get on to. We need to. Well, we've got some responses. Uh, yeah, we got, got a response from Chris in England about some of the unscientific failings of the theory of evolution. Uh, Basically, where did it all come from? Yeah, he says, uh, the test of any theory is whether or not it answers basic questions. Here are some. Where did the space for the universe come from? Where did matter come from? Where did the laws of the universe, like gravity, inertia, come from? What did matter? How did matter get so perfectly organized? Where did the energy come from to do all the organizing? When, where, and why, and how did life come from dead matter? When, where, why, and how did life learn to reproduce itself? With what did the first cells capable of sexual reprodu- reproduction reproduce? Why would any plant or animal want to reproduce more of its kind since this would only make more mouths to feed and decrease the chance of survival? Also, does the individual have a drive to survive or the species? How do you explain this? How can mutations uh, create any new, improved varieties? Uh, Natural selection only works with the genetic information available and tends only to keep a species stable. How would you explain the increasing complexity in the genetic code that must have occurred if evolution were true? Is it possible that similarities in design between different animals prove a common creator instead of a common ancestor? Where, when, why, and how did single-cell plants become multi-cell? Hey, the, the questions go on and yeah, on and, and he's on. Got, he's got like uh, two pages here. So you get the idea, and, and, uh, and, and we'll, and we'll hold says, it. And he says, or to quote Stephen Hawking, the universe and the laws of physics seem to have been specifically designed for us. If any one of about 40 physical qualities had more than slightly different values – Life as we know it could not exist. Either atoms would not be stable, or they wouldn't combine into molecules, or the stars wouldn't form the heavier elements, or the universe would collapse before life could develop, and so on. Stephen Hawking said that. Yeah. Noted Inter- atheist. Interesting. And so, I mean, back to the, the email we read earlier about the fellow who had apparently lost faith because the preacher said that evolution was, was you know, uh, unprovable. 
more studies deserve because a lot of the scientists are owning up to what the failings are. And we have a response from Aaron, who is in the chat room, as to yeah. what he sees as his uh, unscientific failings of the theory of evolution. The f- primary failing that sticks out to me is the idea that random mutations can eventually lead to helpful new structures in an organism. Every example we can point to that demonstrates change over time through mutation is an example of information being lost from the genetic code. Well, not- stop there for just a minute. Think about that. What if someone told you so and so had a baby and it but it was mutated? That w- you said, Oh great, a mutation. Oh, maybe it'll be better. Yeah. No, you no. Say, you, you immediately think Is he gonna make it? Oh, that's that's serious. Right. That's serious. Yeah. So All right, he says, Okay, the lot information's lost from the genetic code, not helpful new information or function being created. Changes in color, wing size, etc., are minor variations on structures that already exist. A number of intermediate stages need to exist in a path from, for example, a creature without ears to a creature with ears. Clearly, the creature with ears has an advantage that helps us, uh, helps in its survival. But for evolution to be feasible, all the intermediate stages where the creature has part of a hearing system but isn't, isn't yet functional have to have some survival advantage as well, or else the odds are astronomical that the whole series of necessary mutations just happen to occur in the small population of already partly mutated intermediates. Stop right there for a minute. What Aaron is describing has been called irreducible complexity. In other words, it wouldn't do for you to have part of an inner ear that wasn't working. Right. If if the scientific theory of evolution were true, so... Here's here's an organism and it designed it, it it evolved it mutated a part of a working ear but it wasn't working it would have discarded that as a useless appendage and and in other words it wouldn't have kept it and keep adding to it because it wasn't doing anything initially yeah it wasn't a useful mutation yeah so you'd it have the mutation would have to happen all at once in, into a working you'd functioning to, part of the body like an eyeball yeah. You wouldn't have an animal that had an eye socket waiting for something to grow in there, Anthony, somewhere down the line. Uh, I'm going to have a, go ahead and make this hole here in my head because somewhere down the line we might have a mutation that puts something in it that will help me. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. that's called irreducible complexity. Okay. All right. The, the problem is that until the system can produce hearing, there isn't any ev- evolutionary advantage to it. This is a form of the argument about irreducible complex system. Irreducibly, yeah, okay. Uh, this is this just is a feasible sequence where each intermediate stage has a survival advantage over the stage before. The second major failing is a refusal to consider the observable history of genetic mutation. We can see what happens when our genes mutate, and every major mutation is a step back, not a step forward. There is no example of a major genetic mutation observed in recorded history that helps us. For example, consider the question of how we got 46 chromosomes. This set had to be built up from prior organisms with fewer chromosomes. But we can see what happens when the human reproductive reproductive process gives us an extra chromosome. We call it Down syndrome. And in, in the literally millions of cases we can observe, the number of improvements added by this extra chromosomal information is exactly zero. The success rate for adding chromosomes is not just small, it is zero. Any theory that says we developed from slime molds by a succession of helpful mutations just ignores the known success rate of mutation. I recently read an article describing a theory for how we evolved from apes with 48 chromosomes to humans with 46. The sequence of required coincidences is just phenomenal since a creature with 47 chromosomes is hugely disadvantaged compared to either 46 or 48. It is ridiculous to suggest that sequences like this happened literally hundreds of times to 
to produce humans and other creatures with even more chromosomes than we have. So, oh, very good. And of course, Aaron Aaron's well studied on that, and he's just describing the some of the real flaws of this theory of evolution. It just doesn't work. Yes. And again, many scientists acknowledge that, but they want to believe they they teach it, even though they know it doesn't work, because the only alternative that they have is to go to special creation, and they won't accept that. All right. We need, to, we need to go to a break, and uh, when we get back, we're going to get into, well, if you thought this was the virtual Bible study and you tuned in and you, now you think it's the virtual biology class, we're going to get into what the Bible says about how God created the earth on the other side of the break as we continue talking about the problems with evolution. We'll get this week's bullet point and take your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwen with this week's bullet point. According to a survey, 25% of Americans believe that they've received personal messages from God. This statistic raises several questions. First, what is God saying to all these people anyway? The Bible says that it contains, quote, all things that pertain unto life and godliness, 2 Peter 1, verse 3. What more do they need to know? Why is additional revelation necessary? Secondly, why does God show such special favoritism to this select group? Does he love the 25% more than the rest of us? If we are among the 75% that God has not spoken to directly, does it mean that we are less important to him? In Acts chapter 10, beginning verse 34, it says that, quote, God is no respecter of persons. How can that be if he speaks personally to some folks and not to others? And then third, isn't it odd that most of the people who are receiving these messages apparently feel no great urge to share them with the rest of us? In the Bible, those who received the word of God were compelled to tell others. For instance, Jeremiah said, quote, His word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Finally, in listening to the claims of these folks, we quickly realize that their stories are contradictory. God has supposedly told one thing to one person and something totally opposite to another. How can this be? In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, it says that, quote, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And so we just have to conclude that the Bible is God's full and final revelation to man. We need to learn it, and we need to obey it. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Bob Tidwell, and I want to remind you that the Virtual Bible Study provides a great opportunity to use your computer for something good. So turn off the TV and gather your family around the computer each Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study. Missed a recent Virtual Bible Study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the Virtual Bible Study. And we're back on the program tonight, and we want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, where you can find archives of every program that's been presented on the Virtual Bible Study over the last eight-plus years, hours and hours of uh, programs that hopefully will cover a subject that you're searching for. And if you don't see a subject that you're interested in discussed there, Send us an email and suggest it for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We're talking about creation on the program tonight versus evolution and the controversy that is associated with it. One point we should emphasize before we move any any further along. We've been talking about the failings of evolution. The theory of evolution doesn't work. But you you have to point out that that also therefore means that theistic evolution doesn't work either. Well, that's true. It'd have the same problems that regular evolution has. Yeah. Well, well, minus a few. I mean, it, 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 it might answer a some. few questions. It might answer, for instance, how did that non-living matter spring to life? Yeah. Uh, it, it might answer some questions, but it's got a lot of the same issues. Where, where's the, where's the evidence in the fossil record, for instance? 
the, theolo- the theistic evolutionist has that same problem. He doesn't right. have the missing links either. Well, when we see what kind of problems are present in the theory of evolution and we realize that theistic evolution is just a compromise with that theory, we would ask ourselves why in the world would we want to compromise with that? Right? I mean, I mean somebody made, the, made, somebody made the, the theory that uh, the moon is made out of cheese, Anthony, and, uh, and then somebody said, well, it's uh, the God made it out of cheese. You say, why are you compromising with that silly theory that the moon's made out of cheese? Just say God made the moon and don't worry about what the scientists are saying. Yeah, it's really a shame. I think this whole idea is just demonstrates our, honestly, I mean, a lack of faith, really, yeah. is what it comes down to. Absolutely. And, and the, you know, and caving to the idea that, well, I, you know, I need to, I need to appear like I'm not radical. Yeah, I don't want to look like I don't uh, know anything. Yeah, exactly. Right? Because the scientists obviously know everything. Right. And, and the Bible doesn't, and yeah. so we want to side with the scientists. You know, I think, and I, I've said this before, I've already even said sort of the same thing tonight, but... Uh, Folks are scared of this idea of scientists. You know, people yeah. just think, "Oh man, these scientists—they got their brains hardly fit in their head. They're yeah. so—they're so smart." But I'm telling you that it's just—you know—from my experience, it's science. What well, people think of science is very loosey goosey in my in my experience. I mean, sure, when you get down to the chemicals and the atoms and the reactions, I mean, it's like math. It either it is or it isn't. But yeah, some Beyond of this that. stuff, yeah, it's yep, exactly right. Exactly right. All right, real quick, I, I want to do this question real quick, Jacob, and we'll just take our email answers because I think they do a good job with it. What are some of the evil fruits that have been produced by the theory of evolution? Aaron says the primary evil fruit is the idea that there's nothing special about humankind, that we are simply an assortment of chemicals and energy that happen to be arranged in a particular way. There's no morality associated with such a configuration any more than there is a moral code for a tree or a mountain or any other arrangement of matter and energy that happens to be different from us. Evolution means that there is no morality except what we happen to like. If you believe you're no better than an animal, then you're not likely to feel guilty about acting like one. Well, there you go. And uh, Chris in the U.K., what are some of the evil fruits? Eugenics, that the uh, killing of old people. Uh, abortion, the killing of young people. We proclaim ourselves sovereign over the universe. Um, ethics and morals no longer have an absolute standard. We're seeing that. And dare I say things like sexism, racism, and the class system. Well, that would be true. Uh, those who claim themselves to be great uh, great humanists and great uh, people of equality, that would be the logical step. If, if we evolved, Anthony, then right. I'm probably better than that guy who has a different skin color than me. Yeah, right. I mean, that was a, that was a major driver in, in the, eugeni- the whole eugenics movement and, and lots of uh, – you know, racial stuff, just even Nazism and the whole idea yeah. of superior race, yeah. that all traces its roots back to the idea of evolution and natural selection. Um, yeah. And the fact that we don't, that we look down on those ideas now, you know, like we're morally superior, then raises its own dilemma. <laughs> well, like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. Where are these morals coming from? Yeah. All right, now now let's get to let's get to the Bible real quick. Let's go. Uh, the the next question was how can we prove that the days of creation in Genesis one were literal twenty four hour days rather than long eons of time as the day age theory suggests? Uh, I think there's several arguments to be made. Some of them are based upon just the word usage in Genesis one. Now Aaron is in the chat room, and Aaron his response says he doesn't think we can prove it, and you're going to show why you think we can. Well, uh, I certainly respect Aaron's opinion on this, and, and he's basically saying before. Day four, 
you can't you can't really uh, argue for a solar day. All right, you give because me because the sun was created on give day me your, four. Give me your explanation, and we'll go uh, on. All right, here's just a few examples. These are not original with me. We know the days of Genesis one are literal twenty four hour days because the Hebrew word yom, which is translated day, is both used and defined in Genesis one verse five, uh, where he says a, a period of light followed by a period of darkness right, was right. a day. God defined his own terms. Okay. Yom is defined here as the light period in the regular succession of light and darkness, which as the day rotates on its as the earth rotates on its axis has continued ever since. Uh, in other words, if if a period of light followed by a period of darkness, is a day, right? Then, and, and I don't know if Aaron is – I haven't really read all of his answer yet. We will here in a minute. But if, if we're just quibbling about whether it's 24 hours or 26 hours or 23 hours, I, I suppose that's one thing. But we know that plant life was created on day three. Now, that's even before day four when the sun was created. We know that God created light without the light source of the sun, uh, that was the, the first thing God created was light. And and then a day became a period of light followed by a period of darkness. But on day three, uh, he produced plant life. Yes. Uh, it says, let the earth, verse 11, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, the fruit to yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. God saw that it was good. The evening and the morning were the third day. Mm-hmm. Now, if the period of light was significantly longer than 24 hours and therefore the period of darkness was also significantly longer than the 24-hour period, plant life couldn't exist on planet Earth. It would get too hot during the long day and it would get too cold in the long night and plants would not survive in a, a ecological system significantly different in regards to the length of days and nights than what we know on Earth today. Uh-huh. So, in other words, it could. I'm just saying uh, that it, it could not have been the, the periods of light and the periods of darkness could not have been long eons. It could have been a billion years. That it was light for a billion years, and then it was dark for a billion. We know the day God defined the day as a period of light followed by a period of darkness. A day. Yeah. If 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 it was long eons, if that day was long eons, then it had to be millions of years of light followed by millions of years of darkness because there was only one cycle of light and darkness in a day. God yeah. said so. Yes. So it couldn't have been. Now I'm I'm not arguing whether it's 24 hours, 25 hours, 23 hours, but I'm saying it couldn't have been significantly different than it is now. Or okay. plant life couldn't have existed on day three. Okay. All see right. My, see my argument. I got it. Okay. You got more arguments. Um, so. Again, more more word usage. The uh, um, the word yom, when preceded by a numeral, first day, second day, third day, always carries the meaning of a 24-hour day. It occurs a hundred to- over a 100 times in the Old Testament in this manner. It always has the meaning of a 24-hour day. In other words, that's just an argument for how the Hebrew word is used. Okay. Um, and there's several more arguments. Uh, we talked about the problem with the plants on day three. Um Oh, by the way, here's an interesting argument from what Jesus said. Uh, Jesus said in Mark 10, verse 6, that from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Mm-hmm. All right. So what, what day was man made on? Day six. Day six. So if that was within a literal week of six consecutive 24-hour days. It was Friday. It was 
Friday. It was Friday. Then it, it would be reasonable to say that God made male and female from the beginning I mean, yeah, of the creation. Yeah, because Earth was created on Sunday. But if so. it was, if day six was actually several billion years after day one, that's a stretch. Then it wouldn't be that's a big stretch. Then man would not have been made at the beginning of the creation. No. From, in other words, man wouldn't have been. Around. Paul said the same thing basically in Romans chapter one verses twenty twenty one, where he said that man and woman have been here from the beginning. From the beginning of the creation, he says in Genesis or uh, Romans 1, 20, 21, man and woman have been here from the beginning of the creation. Man and woman have been here to observe the creative work of God. Yeah. Again, that wouldn't be true if man and woman on day six were actually eons of time separated from the beginning of God's creation and yes. on day one. Yes. All okay, right. So those are just some arguments. All right, let's get to Aaron, and uh, I'll read his argument, and you can comment. Uh, he says, I don't think we can prove that the, the days of Genesis uh, 1 were 24-hour days rather than long eons of time. To be more precise, I don't think we conclude anything about the length of days before day 4 when God specifically established the celestial bodies as the basis of timekeeping on the earth. Day 4 is when God established that the sun would provide the basis of a day. Any attempt to impose solar time before day 4 is exactly the same as arguing that man observed the Sabbath from the very beginning, although God tells us specifically that he established it at Sinai, Nehemiah 9, verse 14. When God tells us that solar time was established on day four, we should believe him. I do not believe that the days were literal and that they were defined by a single cycle of light, darkness, and I do believe the days were literal and they were defined by a single cycle of darkness and light, but the Bible does not reveal what was the source of that light or how long it took for God to turn it off once he turned it on. It might have been 24 hours, but it might have been 9.5 hours, or it might have been centuries well, or millennia. I, I have to respectfully disagree with Aaron there. It couldn't have been centuries or millennia because the periods of darkness, the plants could not have survived in, right. in centuries of darkness. All right, let's go. Uh, he says, I don't know, because God doesn't say. Genesis 1 tells us what defines a day. It isn't the, the number of hours, but the single cycle of darkness and light. And that cycle did not come from the sun until God established that on day four. Even people who use Exodus 20 and the Sabbath to argue that the, all the days were 24 hours long are not consistent in their argument. We know of at least two occasions where God caused a day to last longer than 24 hours. In Joshua 10, the battle with the Amorites. And in Second Kings 20, the sign of the uh, sundial for Hezekiah. When these long days occurred, how do you think the people treated the Sabbath? Did they insist that the next Sabbath must start exactly 168 hours after the last one so that it wasn't uh, at the seventh sunset after the last one? Uh, I don't know anybody who thinks that. They started their Sabbath on the seventh sundown from the start of the previous Sabbath, regardless of how many hours it had been. In other words, they defined their days as by the diurnal cycle of light and dark, not by counting hours. We should view days one through three in Genesis the exact same way. Uh, because God tells us that he counted time with darkness and light. Solar time did not exist until day four. So I believe that the days were literal in the sense that they were defined by a single cycle of light and darkness, but not that they all must have been 24 hours long. They might have been, they might not, or but they might not. Man's existence upon the earth is only thousands of years because man came after day four, but I cannot be sure that the existence of the earth is only hours longer than that. It is only a few evenings and mornings longer, but I do not know how long those periods of darkness and light were. We are not told. I, w I would back him up at least one more day. You gotta have to, you're going to have to say the same thing about day three. So the, from, from Aaron's argument, I would say that his argument would be concerning days one and two, but I think you've got to give up day three, too, as being provably 24 hours or thereabouts of uh, 
because of the plant life. All right. Uh, Anthony, your thoughts? But, but then here's the question. Yeah, uh, uh, Here, real quick, here's the question. If the, the, the text seems to be flawed to me if the meaning of that word yes. changes in the text without explanation. Yeah. No, and you know, nobody reading that text without trying to come up with another thing is going to assume. You no, know, if I read an evening and morning were the fourth day, but that's the same expression where it says the evening and morning were the first day in verse five. So yeah. the same phrase, that interpretation has the same phrase in the same context, meaning two different things. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's a problem. And we got to keep in mind, I mean, this was written so that we could understand and have faith in something. It wasn't written, you know, to confuse us or to require, you know, gymnastics to figure it out. I mean, I mean, I, I see what, what Aaron is saying, and he's, he's done some good scholarship here. But, you know, to your point, Greg, I mean, I agree. I think that would be odd to have it changing definitions in this right in the same context. And it was written for our understanding, not – you know, not to be uh, fuzzy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Should we skip the last break or should we continue? Uh, it's your call. It's your call. We, we, you want to skip? You want to go? Um, maybe. Maybe let's. Well, how much time we got? Oh, You've got 10 minutes. you got 12 uh, minutes. We're never going to get done. All right. Well, we'll skip. I mean, it's going to be hard on the listeners not to have a break from listening to us. But <laughs> if, if they can do it, we can do it. All right. Uh, and there's some good discussion going on in the chat room. We're not going to be able to keep it up. It, Aaron is answering some of the things we ask about. He said, basically, he said, uh, if someone challenges the idea of the flood by saying certain freshwater and saltwater species cannot survive in the same body of water because the salinity will be wrong for one of them, so there cannot have been a flood, you would answer that God can maintain life. In the flood, he could maintain life in whatever water there was. And he said he would argue the same thing about plant life surviving uh, there on day three. Uh, I would just uh, I would just ask what would be the impetus for wanting to believe that the – I mean, why – what is the motivation? I think Aaron's just saying he doesn't think it's provable. He's not. He's not. He, I, knowing Aaron, I'm. I'm certain that he's. Yeah. He's not. He, he's just being honest with with what he believes. That he, he doesn't can have prove. an argument. He's, he doesn't have an axe to grind. He's just saying yeah. he doesn't think from the text you can prove that the first days of the creation week were 24. From day four on, he does. But days one, two, three, he says he can't. He can't prove from the text. Uh, so, and, and I understand his argument. Okay. Um, let's, let's go quickly, uh, to, um, you know, by the way, I was going to, I don't have time for that. I was going to read some quotes of some, some well-known people in churches of Christ who are taking that day age view, but we don't have time to go to that. Let's go on. Uh, let's talk about this question. You guys thought it was interesting. If evolution I, occurred, even theistic it, evolution, I, you got to go. I just, I just, I, mean, I, 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 I don't. I guess Aaron's just going to say day means light and dark. But in Exodus 20, verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, made heaven and earth, and the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. So I've got I've got sliding scales there. You know, I mean, he's he's lumping them that, all together. He's saying I, he did it. He did it in six of these, but, but these others the were these, and and the the last ones were. Little ones. Yeah, I, I think that's a problem. Uh, that I, I think you gotta. He, but uh, back here, uh, Aaron answered that. He, he says, uh, "I don't think." Aaron says, "I don't think that the meaning changes. I think it always means evening and morning made a day. How's that different? Uh, in other words, a period of light followed by a period of darkness. That's how God defined it. Yeah. And he's just saying the periods may not have been all the same length of time. But 
it seems to me, even there in Exodus 20, that he's saying six days. And, and, and you know what it is. There has to, to be some reason to yeah. imagine, you know, uh, that, those, that, that the days were different. There were six of them, but they weren't the same. I mean, that doesn't seem. He should say something like periods, you know, in six, six periods and the seventh period, you know, then, then that might be more. You know, but he was he was linking it with what the people who heard him say that in Exodus 20 would have said. Oh, a day! I know what that is. Yeah. Okay. That's a, yeah. That's the thing that I keep coming back to is what did a day mean to people who were reading that? Yeah. yeah. And even though well, it, it, now in in fairness, the Bible does use the word day to sometimes mean long periods. Uh, you know, uh, in the day of the Lord. Sometimes is an expression we read in yeah. the scripture, and that's not talking about a literal twenty-four hour period. That's uh, 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 but he's linking well, he's linking it to the week though in Exodus yeah. twenty. Yeah. That's, okay. All right. Yeah. I, I, that, we, we've got it. We've got an argument there, and, and I think we see that there's two sides to it. I'm, I'm convinced of one way, and uh, and obviously not everyone is. Yeah, and he's but, saying his motivation is not to say the universe is millions of years old. As I said, those days might have been nine and a half hours long. I'm not trying to give any proof of an old earth. Right, right. And right, I, okay. I know Aaron, and I know that's the way he would come at okay, that. Okay. Um, what about this? If evolution occurred, even theistic evolution, then it must necessarily be true that death preceded sin. What's wrong with that view? What about that, Jake? Uh, I don't. I can't believe that I've never heard you make this argument, Anthony. You've never heard it before either. I guess that the death preceded sin. No, I haven't. No, I'm, I'm, I like you've been this holding idea. out on me here. But explain this theory to me. All right. You, you, we know when did death enter the world in Genesis three? That's after, what it says. After Adam and Eve were created, yes, yes. you know. Uh, then uh, in Genesis three verse two, the woman said to the serpent, "We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest you die." And of course they did, and then death came yeah. as a consequence of sin. Yeah. Um, but if evolution is true, a whole lot of things had been dying. And 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 the survival of the fittest, after all, the survival of the fit, fittest demands the death of the unfit and the more fit survive. And so really evolution obviously requires countless generations upon generations that were evolving to higher life forms. A lot of things dying, a lot of things not surviving. And the Bible teaches that death was a consequence of sin, which came after man and woman were created. But evolution has got a lot of dying to happen to get to man and woman. Yeah. It's just bad theology. Okay. Good. Does that make sense, Anthony? Yeah, I, I agree. All right, let's see here what our listener says. Chris says, well, if creation took years or millennium or millions of years, how long is my Sabbath? Uh, oh, never mind. Never mind. That's uh, That was his uh, answer to number three. Okay. Uh, number four. He didn't yeah. answer number four. Uh, this is seventh millennium. I guess to get this one off. And, and Aaron okay. says, and Aaron says, the entire theological argument of the New Testament about salvation is that sin produces death, and that freedom from sin is freedom from death. If death preceded sin, the whole foundation of salvation is a lie. That's really the point I was trying to make too. All right, your your question number three was actually question number and five. And finally, question five, which was misnumbered. Mis- no, no. uh, so you believe in biblical creation, Jacob. Yes, Therefore, do. it must mean that you believe that each individual species was created exactly as it is observed today. Ooh. Well, I obviously can't believe that because I can observe individual species changing. Yeah. 
And and this goes, and we've tried to make this point lots of times, but th- this goes to the difference between the general theory of evolution, which says life sprang from non-living matter and all living things came from a single living source. Yeah. They've all evolved and changed and mutated and became different things versus the specific uh, evidence of evolution, ev- ev- evolution within a species. For instance, you know, you could compare people today. People today are generally taller than people were yeah. several centuries ago, but they're still people. I mean, I mean, even genetically, if you if you if you looked at the most basic building blocks of life, they're still the same. Yes. I mean, there's there's change. Uh, you know, um, dogs. You got you you can make you can make dogs with. Longer ears and shorter tails, but yes. they're still dogs. They're not. They're not cows or horses. Yes, uh, that's specific evolution, and nobody denies specific evolution. It'd be ridiculous to do so. Yes, we're denying the general theory of evolution. Thoughts right. on that, Anthony? No thoughts on that right now. No. Sorry, Sorry, I'm too busy chatting. We're, we're out okay. of time. Go ahead. All right. No, uh, no. So uh, here again, Jacob, if you believe in biblical creation, then you must believe that the entire Bible has to be interpreted literally. In other words, you're trying to force a literal interpretation on Genesis 1. So, therefore, you are forced to put a literal meaning on everything in the Bible. Yes. Of course, that's not true. No, we don't do that. Uh, no, that would be, Aaron that. says, I probably take more more of it literally than many people. Practically every written work uses figures of speech, but I believe that when the Bible presents something as fact, we should accept it as fact, even if that means a day is defined as an evening and morning rather than 24 hours, since that's literally what Genesis says. But he's saying, yes, the Bible uses figurative language. We understand that. But the question is, is it figurative in Genesis 1? Is there any reason to believe that it is figurative in Genesis 1? I think there's not. And as he as he mentioned, although we differ a little bit in our in our conclusion from that, God defined his terms, you know, Figurative language, uh, we're often left to um, to understand it as figurative. But when you when you're given a definition, you have to accept that definition. Yes, yes, okay. Um, uh, and uh, Chris in the UK says every single bit, uh, notwithstanding, is true. It is all God breathed. It is all useful. Thank all you, right. Chris. Uh, and then finally, if you believe in biblical creation, Jacob, do, do you you? You must believe then that dinosaurs never existed. I never said that. Who said I said that? Well, that's what you're going to be charged oh, with. Oh, well, no, if, no. We agree that they existed. Yeah. Aaron says, of course, dinosaurs existed. The book of Job talks about some of them. They just aren't as old as most biologists think. I still wonder when people are going to be honest about the significance of the recent finding of live cells in the bone marrow of a dinosaur that has supposedly been dead for 65 million years. Say what now? They found di- they found. That, that's, I, I didn't see that news, and uh, I'd like a link on that, Aaron, if you if you know where it is. But he says there's been a recent finding of live cells in the bone marrow of a dinosaur. Of course, we're always told that dinosaurs became extinct 65 million years ago. How could that be? Mm-hmm. They couldn't be 65 million years ago, and Aaron would agree with us that the, that those creatures were created after day four, after time keeping, daytime keeping uh, was regulated by the sun. And so <clears throat> there's no way dinosaurs were on Earth more than a few thousand years ago. All right. Well, All right, we are we're out, out of time. time. That was a hurry. It was a hurry. Anthony, what do you think? Oh, it's a great discussion. Uh, some of the, some of these points I haven't you know haven't heard before, so it's maybe some good. <coughs> material for some further study and um, I think it's always good for us to be reminded that you know, we don't have to be intimidated by by the world when it comes to this topic that we can we do have a ground to stand on I think that's one of the important takeaways you know that that we really have a more uh, uh, 
sound footing for our faith than the evolutionists. And by the way, did you remember those statements, the evolutionists, that their their acceptance of evolution is an act of faith? Yeah, it'll be interesting. When the theory of evolution is thrown away, it'll be interesting to see uh, how the theistic evolutionists will respond to that. I, I think their their theory will go away I just as fast as the evolution. I think theory. evolution is going to go away, and it may not be that long. They're not going to come around to believing in God. Yeah. In fact, you're, you're already hearing some hints of it. We got here. We were colonized here by aliens from outer space. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be that, of course that doesn't solve the problem. Where did the aliens come from? Is then the next question. Yeah. Well, as long as it wasn't God, I think they'll be okay with that answer. You can say whatever <laughs> it is, as long as you leave God out of it, and that's the problem, and that's the that's the reason why we're going out to great lengths to prove that we got here by some means other than God. Because if God created us, then we need to be doing what He says to do, not whatever we jolly well please. And that's the problem that the evolutionists don't want to accept. Yeah. I uh, appreciate Aaron for being uh, in the chat room and in the email tonight with the, uh, with a slightly different opinion and uh, understanding. We appreciate that and appreciate the opportunity to discuss that. Dad, appreciate your time tonight. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you for being here, Anthony. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. And thank you for joining us on the program. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.